If you want a great conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure you should know more about, listen to One on One with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Jay and Brian, do you guys ever watch like SNL or The Daily Show or any of those kind of funny comedy news shows? Oh, I used to be an avid viewer of both The Daily Show and SNL. And I still will check in on them from time to time, depending on who's hosting on SNL. I'll still take a shot on it every so often. All about Norm MacDonald, Colin Quinn era on Weekend Update on SNL. That's my frame of reference. It's totally uh, up for debate whether or not SNL is funny these days, but I feel like I talk about Last Week Tonight with John Oliver all the time because that's my like news source, but also kind of a little comic relief in this just wild world that we're living in. And there's actually a live theater production that does kind of the same thing right here in Philadelphia. It's one thing to be at home watching The Daily Show laughing by yourself, but it's another thing to be laughing about these things in a group of 100 or 200 people. There's a sense of shared, like, oh, we're we're all here in this moment together. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. And that show is called This Is The Week That Is. And we'll hear more about what it is from one of its creators at 1812 Productions coming up a little bit later on. But of course, we'll never pass up an opportunity to talk about some good news when it comes to sports here in the city of Philadelphia. And after 48 hours of panic and hysteria and people sweating needlessly, I told y'all y'all didn't have nothing to worry about around here. The Sixers punched their ticket by punching Toronto in the face in the second half last night, winning by 35 points. Yeah, Jay, it was the biggest margin of victory ever for the Sixers in a closeout playoff game. We weren't going back to Philly for game seven. We knew for an entire four-quarter game, if we were had that mindset defensively to be engaged and rebound the basketball, uh, we had a pretty good chance of winning. And that's exactly what they did. Harden had 22 points, 15 assists, and he'd be getting a whole lot of heat from everybody. But now they're going to take their talents down to South Beach to meet an old friend, Jimmy Butler, and the Miami Heat in the second round of the playoffs that starts Monday night in Miami. Along with the Sixers deciding just to put an end to this whole thing with the Raptors last night, last night was also the first night of the NFL draft, and the Eagles they also had themselves a night. They traded up to get defensive lineman Jordan Davis from the University of Georgia. He was the best defensive player in college football last year. And then in the midst of all this, they also traded for Pro Bowl receiver A.J. Brown from the Tennessee Titans. Hey, it sounds like uh, A.J. Brown is making the same journey that I did, Nashville to Philadelphia. So I say welcome. It is Friday. And of course, we're sitting here talking about sports. So no better time than to welcome in Dave Uram for the Philadelphia Sports Fan of the Week. So, Dave, who do we have on with us this week? Hey, Jay. So the sports fan of the week is 51-year-old Anthony Detrolio, a South Jersey, a West Philadelphia native, a Philadelphia sports fan for four decades, maybe even a little bit more than that. And the fascinating part about the fan of the week this week is the fan of the week this week, Jay, his story is a testament to the power of sports and the unification of it. And I'll tell you why. Every one of these fans I talk to is different. Everybody has a different story. So with Anthony specifically, the reason why I love his story so much is because through learning about him, I, in essence, learned about the friendship that he has with his close sports buddies. And I wouldn't have known that without learning about Anthony. So while Anthony is the sports fan of the week, to an extension, his friends are 
as well. He is dedicated. He is knowledgeable. He is an encyclopedia when it comes to Philadelphia sports, and you can hear that in this soundbite right here. Even my wife will say, she's like, you know what? You know, and I think this is true with a lot, of, a lot of men, so to speak. You know, your wife will tell you something three hours ago and you don't remember it. But I can, you know, but she said she's always said to me, but I can ask you a, me- a meaningless sports uh, trivia question from something that happened in 1985. And you'll rat it off right off, right off the bat without blinking an eye. And yeah, just that that pride, you know, it's it, it's 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 a pride that you, you grow up with and you live with. Like, I, I can never think of, you know, changing over teams, no matter how bad, you know, a season we have. So that's him personally, him himself. And then through talking with some of his friends, one of 45 years, you learn that he has this this kind of like regular bond. They go to Eagles games together, even though they don't sit in the same seats together. They tailgate together. And it's just kind of a reunification every week. And it goes to show you just how important it is to have that bond of sports. These group of friends who grew up together in West Philly, now some of them, including himself, live together in New Jersey. It goes to show, no matter what, sports will always bring you together. And frankly, if for some people, including Anthony, if you don't share, if you don't share that with somebody, your love of sports with somebody, frankly, it's not as enjoyable to some. I think I would be a sports fan in general, but yeah, I don't think, I, I think it would be enjoyable, but again, enjoying events, having people around you to enjoy them and share those events with is pro- probably the, the most meaningful part of it. You know, if you don't have anybody to share it with, sometimes you're like, okay, why am I doing this? So it would detract from it if I didn't have the, those people around me to enjoy it. I just found it to be really, really cool to find out about the friendship that they have because it was not something that I expected, Jay, when starting the story. I figured I was going to learn about Anthony, his fandom, some cool stories that he had, but then I ended up learning about this friendship that he has with his friend Rich and Adam and other guys that he tailgates with. And once this story all comes together in its final package, as we publish it today, it's, it's going to display that. And I thought that that was really cool. It sounds like a really cool story, and I and he's a guy after my own heart pulling out obscure sports references from fifteen or twenty years ago. So you know he he keeps it real, and that's what that's what the sports fan of the week is. Dave Uram, thank you so much for joining us for this week's KYW News Radio Sports Fan of the Week. It sounds like this guy he really gets it, and sports is a really big part of his life, and his buddies get it too. I always appreciate coming on the John Cast, Jay. Now, you too could also be our next Philadelphia Sports Fan of the Week. You can simply check out our Twitter at the Johncast or look down in the show notes and make a submission at kywnewsradio.com slash fans. Now, coming up, we'll talk about a show that really fits our vibe here. A live comedy news show and political satire called This Is The Week That Is. Hang tight, and we'll tell you more about that coming up in a moment. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. Now, a few things that we talk about a lot on this podcast are the news. Then you have the city of Philadelphia. Of course, it's Friday, theater, and we deal a lot with comedy. And you put them all together and you get This Is The Week That Is. It's a live political satire from 1812 Productions that just opened up at Plays and Players Theater right here in the city of Philadelphia. They describe this as a cross between SNL, The Daily Show, and The Carol Burnett Show. So picture that 
on a stage in front of you. You're all sitting in the same room watching this together. This is a yearly thing, but like many shows that we've discussed, they were off for the whole pandemic thing that happened over the past few years. So this is their first time doing it in person again since the beginning of COVID. I don't know how many of you out there heard the episode we did after the slap at the Oscars from Will Smith on Chris Rock, but we had Kathy Caldwell on. She's uh, the head of traffic operations for KYW News Radio. On the side, she's a stand-up comedian. One of the things we talked about with her was how do you walk the line as a comedian between subject matter that is really serious and really heavy and could be offensive, but also, listen, that's topical in today's world, and that if you're a comedian, it's kind of like your thing to poke fun at. It's a delicate balancing act. And of course, if you're doing a like news comedy, political satire, that's exactly the line that you have to walk, right? So I talked with Jennifer Childs, who is the producing artistic director and co-founder of 1812 Productions. Let's hear how she describes what they're trying to do here with This Is The Week That Is. This is the 16th year that we've done the show, and it is, we like to describe it as uh, the Carol Burnett show meets The Daily Show. So it's sketch, it's big costumes, big dance and musical numbers, but also news that changes uh, on a weekly, sometimes daily basis to keep up with the, the news cycle. I guess it would be our version of Saturday Night Live, but it's very, very politically focused um, and social event focused and also Philly focused in many ways. When did it first start? Gosh, uh, well, 16 years ago. What is wow. time? Um, yeah. So whatever that was, <laughs> my math is like all off because of the last two years. Um, yeah, the early, you know, like 2006, 2008, maybe. And then yeah. the lot you, and you mentioned the last two years messing with everything, including our sense of time. But what was what were the last two years like? Were you doing this virtually? We were. We did. Um, we did an entire season online, and we did one version of this online. Uh, Justin Jane directed it, and it was it was really wonderful and difficult, and all of the things that Zoom theater is. Um, a big part of this show, and you know, one of the questions that we ask ourselves every year, it's like with such great political humor, like The Daily Show, like John Oliver, etc why come see something like this live? And the answer for us is always, it's the audience. And so it's a very, uh, it's a very audience interactive show. And we tried to maintain some of that while we were online. And, and I think we were fairly successful, but we are so eager to get back into the theater and just be in the room with people again. Yeah, I bet. You're answering my questions before I even get a chance to ask them because I was going to ask what makes this unique from watching something like an SNL or, you know, any news that I don't get from KYW, I get from John Oliver every week. And I, I feel like there's something really, really beautiful and useful about adding like news and comedy because the world is just such a mess right now. There may be kind of a, a fine line of what you can joke about, but like sometimes you have to, right? Totally, totally. And, you know, one of the 1812 productions, my company is all comedy. And it's, you know, we were founded on this belief that the world needs more comedy. And never is it more true than when we're doing this as the week and we're talking about what's going on in the world. And we find that, like, we always say when people are laughing, they're open. And when you're open, then you can start to hear new perspectives or think about some of these things. But I feel like lead with comedy and then follow it up with some of these political and social questions, as opposed to leading with that, mm-hmm. it makes people sit 
back sometimes. And uh, for me about the show, and it's our director, Tana Kiel Marquez, this year has, has chosen this as kind of a theme as well. It really is about community. You know, it's one thing to be at home watching The Daily Show laughing by yourself, but it's another thing to be laughing about these things in a group of 100 or 200 people. There's a sense of shared, like, oh, we're we're all here in this moment together. Uh, I'm not just, it's not just me and my Ben and Jerry's, you know? <laughs> I feel like there's some comfort in that, you know? Absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about 1812 Productions because you were are one of the founders. When did that start and where, where does the name come from? Uh, so this is our 25th anniversary season, which is hard to believe. I didn't think I'd do wow. anything for Congrats. years. Um, <laughs> but uh, the name comes from an address. It was 1812 Pine Street. Uh, my co-founder, Pete Pryor, and I lived there. And we like to describe it as kind of an artist's flop house. You know, it was uh, a whole bunch of us in our early twenties. We didn't have very much money. And so there was this rotating cast of like, there was always a painter, a sculptor, a filmmaker. There were some dancers, the occasional German tourist, you know, actors, technicians, all of this, all of these people kind of flowing in and out. And, um, and it was just a place where we just didn't have, like we couldn't afford cable. So at the time, if you couldn't afford cable, then you didn't have, you just didn't get reception on your TV and it was pre-streaming and all of that. So we just made things up. You know, it was a place where we made something out of nothing constantly to sort of entertain ourselves. And, um, and we laughed a lot. So I don't know that I would name it that now, but at the time there was, there was like no question. We didn't even entertain another, another thought. So, uh, first of all, I found it fascinating to read in the press release that 1812 Productions is the only professional theater company in the country dedicated to comedy. Is that is that really true? Really true. I know. Well, again, it's everything. Everything's parsed. We are uh, the only professional, like regional theater. A region. There are plenty of uh, companies that do comedy, like do improv comedy or. Right, right. Um, who, who create comedic pieces. Um, but in terms of like a more traditional regional theater that has a subscription season, et cetera. Yeah. We are the only one on, there's a theater communications group and of that group of companies across the country. We're the only one whose mission is all comedy. Wow. That's surprising. And it's right here in, in Philadelphia, which we have said numerous times on this podcast, how much this is an underrated city for, for the arts and comedy is a piece of that too. Yeah, no, and it absolutely is also coming up as a center of comedy, not just comedic theater, but there's a, a thriving improv scene and the um, stand-up comedy scene is growing and growing. Uh, sketch comedy is growing. So it's, I don't know, I think it's going to be exciting to see sort of how that how that breaks open even more once once the pandemic has become endemic and does whatever it mm -hmm. does, you know? Anything else about this show or about 1812 Productions that you want people to know, people who might not have heard of this before? Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, one of the things that we sort of pride ourselves on is um, is being equal opportunity offenders when it comes to political humor. There are some times where people are like, oh, is this going to be my side of the aisle and not my side? Or And it really is just about being human in the world right now. And we try to give, as I said, equal opportunities to both sides. You know, that said, one of the things that we're looking at this 
right now is that the divide between the sides is so much greater than it ever has been, at least in my lifetime. And um, so what does community mean in the, in the time of that? And how do we find those places where we're not divided? How do we find those places where we connect? I think it's one of the things that I love about comedy is that you watch some of these old like silent movies or see somebody slips on a banana peel or, you know, (laughs) walks into a door or something like that. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from or political ideology, everybody, or even what language you speak, you know, everybody laughs. And, uh, that for me is the sweet spot with 1812 is there's saying you're all comedy. It, It can be very, um, you know, comedy is subjective. What people find funny, but I feel like what we're all searching for are, are those really human places where where we all meet and we all recognize our frailties, our quirks, our all of that, um, and and laugh together. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Do you feel like over the past couple of years, maybe, has there been sort of a shift? Like, are people more sensitive about jokes, particularly political things? You know, is it harder to make jokes that people laugh at and don't get all riled up and and angry about in some ways? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think that there's, I feel like the people who are going to get offended are going to get offended no matter what um, in some ways. But there's a saying amongst kind of political humorists, it's like you can make fun of the smoke, but you can't make fun of the fire. Mm. And for example, with the pandemic, it is not funny that, millions of people have died from a global pandemic. It is not funny. That's the fire. The smoke around it is what are all the strange things that we do? Like what is mask etiquette and, uh, you know, going on a date with somebody and seeing their face for the first time after not having seen, you know, and it's like, what, what is the smoke around that fire that you can kind of excavate and find the funny in? Um, and I think that's particularly apt when it comes to a lot of our political dealings and um, especially because there's been some really ugly events that have happened in in our country in the past couple of years, pandemic aside. And the question is not how we make fun of it because we don't want to make light of it. Um, and I feel like each thing needs to be really examined and held up and going, is this satire and is this true in ways that it wasn't? before in ways that we could just be a little bit more casual about that before, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing this show. Jennifer, thanks for doing this. It was really fun to chat. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you. And you can check out This Is The Week That Is at the Plays and Players Theater until May 22nd. You can also find them online at 1812productions.org. And we'll drop a link to that show down in the show notes. Okay, it is a rite of passage here on the John Cast going into the weekend. An Udo haiku on Fridays with the one and only Justin Udo. Justin, what's up? What do you got this week? So, you know, Brian, it's a short work week for me. I haven't gone out on too much, but I was able on Wednesday, able to talk to Devin Potts, and she was recently hired in the public defender's office in Delaware County. And believe it or not, she is the first African-American woman to hold the title of assistant public defender in that office in that county. And it just really got me to thinking like, wow, it was just kind of polarizing almost. So I really kind of thought on that and thought of the importance and the significance. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, in that in that office, a lot of the people she was telling me, a lot of the people, a majority of the people that they see 
they are black, they're African-American people in that county. And to not have that representation of, a, of someone that's defending you in the court of law for whatever it may be, it can, it can seem a little daunting when you don't have the option of having someone that, that might look like you or kind of know different things you went through or be able to just understand a little more because it, it lets be uh, frank, that's kind of how it is. When you get into court and you have to talk to your lawyer, you have to be open. So I talked to her and just her story was amazing. And she inspired this week's Udo Haiku. Glass ceilings crumbled as she ascended the stairs, transforming the house. Glass ceilings crumbled as she ascended the stairs, transforming the house in Udo Haiku. Fantastic stuff, as always, Justin. It sounded like this was a really big deal, obviously, for Devin Potts herself. But in your reporting on this story, did you get a sense of how significant and big of a deal this is for the greater Delaware County community as a whole? Well, it was it was funny talking to her. I asked uh, just what the importance was, and I thought she would talk about uh, the people that she represented, but she also talked about people that are considering or young women or people that may not have considered a career in law and being lawyers and them being able to see someone like themselves to give them that inspiration to let them know that, hey, I can do that too. And she said, just by seeing someone there, it lets you know that it's not impossible. She said, so a lot of people have been uh, giving her a lot of just good feedback. It's She's just getting onto the job, but she said she's been getting a lot of feedback of just the importance of just her face in this representative spot. But she also adds, yes, she she's a black woman. Um, but the most important thing is she says she's there in this office. They want to they want to rework how these cases are handled to make sure this recidivism rate drops, to make sure people feel like they're fairly represented and to really let people know that even if you can't afford a lawyer, your public defender is going to be is going to be just as good for you. Justin, you live in Delaware County, and I think rightly or wrongly, there's this perception that people have of Delaware County. But to me, a story like this speaks to diversity in that area. How do you see things in that part of the region? I don't think there's a change as much as there's more light being shown on just the different cultures and and people that are in the county, I think, for so long. We only got to see one light or one area of it. But um, Delaware County is actually, it's very diverse. There, There's a big African population, a big Asian American population. Um, just you have a lot of, of, of folks that have traditionally migrated from um, South Philly that are there that have always been there and been represented. As you know, spend a lot of time. And as you said, I do a lot of stories there and happy to show that it is a very diverse place with a lot going on. And I think it's just more so being brought to light a little more now these days. Yet another amazing haiku from Justin Udo. You can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin Udo. That's it for this week. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. Thank you for joining us and riding with us this week. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back at you on Monday.